Ugh. Yeah, I'm at, okay, I'm actually recording. Are you happy? No. Well, me you know either. You know what I'm drinking right now? What? A ruby grapefruit white claw. This is the <sighs> bottom of you're the so barrel. Much, you're so much smarter than me. I should have gotten out. I don't think I've ever had any alcohol while we were recording these. Really? Nope. That explains some things. I mean, I, I tend to make like a pot of coffee right before we start, and it's usually gone by the time we get to the end, but alcohol probably would be smarter, especially considering how many fucking problems we've had just getting to this point. The first aeon, I was the great spirit. In the second aeon, men knew me as the horned god, pangenitor, panthage. In the third aeon, I was the dark one, the devil. In the fourth aeon, men knew me not, for I am the hidden one. In the fifth aeon, I appear before you as Baphomet, the god before all gods who shall endure to the end of the earth. In this new aeon, I appear to you as... Imagine that there is a brilliant white light just above. Is commentary on the magic art. In the year of the primal form, the dawn of birth. Oh, that was very educational. Now magic will take place. Don't be fooled by what I just said. This is CMN. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. I'm Scaramouche Kennedy, and this is Chaos Magic News, the only media outlet that hasn't benefited from Elon Musk wrecking Twitter entirely. As always, I'm joined by my rhapsodic co-host, Freddie Mercury Retrograde. What's up, Retrograde? <sighs> hey, how you doing? Yep. Well, you, you already know what time it is, right? Yep, I think so. Okay. One, two, three. Beautiful. It has been that kind of a day just getting here to this, the intro of Chaos Magic News. Well, Ugh. to be fair, this is the third or fourth attempt at the intro. Yeah, it's bad. We have been we started at three something, right? And it's like 5.30 now. Uh, I think we started. I want to say we started earlier than that. Ugh. It, it, it doesn't matter. We, we've had. If you can name a type of issue that would keep you from recording, we've had. But yeah, other than. I don't know. Getting hit with an axe. But now I'm going to be looking around for axes, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really that feeling. I'm, I'm looking at my roof wondering if it's going to cave in on me or, you know. Yeah. But Ugh. now that we're... Now that we're here. Now that we're rolling, perhaps we can uh, really pull it together and give the people what they want. Another fun-filled episode 
of witty banter and informative whatever the fuck. I, I don't know. <laughs> you tried so I hard al- there. I al- almost had it, but no. Almost no. had it, but no, it killed maybe, us. Maybe this, can be a, maybe this can be a good episode for some people. You know, we'll just... We're going to try. That's all we can say is we're going to try. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to fucking try, dude. All right. <laughs> so our um, discussion section for today is going to be ethics and magic. And we had a really... Well, we had what we thought was going to be a really great little thing to throw in here to lead into that. But <laughs> it let's just say that um fan submissions have not been our strongest pool. There haven't been many of them and we really appreciate everyone trying to give us anything, but um they weren't all winners this week. <laughs> no, no they weren't. And then we had what we thought was another good one and then we realized that it it would give away some information about some certain people. And that brings us to the ethics question, I guess. Oh, (laughs) Hey, you you pulled it out. Way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause you came up with the topic. I'll let you start. What, what made you want to talk about ethics and magic to begin with? Well, I think magic raises a good question about moral and ethical behavior, because if, you well if you think that this is all psychological games and it's just what you're doing in your own head then sure whatever you're kind of free to do anything you'd like because it stops at the bridge of your nose and that's cool there's a there's a freedom to that where it's like ah it doesn't it doesn't matter if you take the whole hog and say yeah magic exists and it totally affects the rest of the world and everyone in it then you start having questions of like, is it right to do blank, blank, and blank? Particularly when it comes to the idea of curses and like love, I guess. Well, yeah, those two, if you go look through the people asking questions about like, is it right or wrong or is it ethical for me to do X, nine times out of 10, you get, either curses or love spells killing and fucking killing and fucking killing and fucking more human than apple pie <laughs> well my okay. apple pie my my mom doesn't make apple pie with people anymore the the the, <laughs> the, the county wasn't mad about that i'm from the south folks i'm sorry that was a that was the worst the, the worst pie eating contest the state fair ever seen. I tell you what. <laughs> okay, first and foremost, where do we stand on the curse love spell debate? Are are either of those okay? Are they both okay? I will try to be quick about this. I don't believe in curses. I don't believe that somebody can make bad things happen to me because they're really mad at me and they wave a wand around. They at least got to come throw some hands, right? Yeah. But the caveat of that is that I don't believe in them because it's beneficial for me to not believe in them. If that makes sense. Right. There's not a whole lot of situations where it's beneficial to think that you've been cursed. In fact, the only one I can think of is if you, you have been cursed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if it becomes temporarily beneficial, 
I will totally buy into it and I will do something spooky to get the curse off of me or whatever. And hopefully that fixes the issue. But by and large, I operate on an idea that nobody's magic can really touch me. So that's not a stance that everybody else takes. It's just mine. And I would go with the other thing on, on love spells too, is that if somebody wanted me to fall in love with them, good fucking luck. You better have a winning personality and a lovely smile. <laughs> I got commitment issues out the ass. You can't magic that shit away. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, I will say that I met my current beloved because I did something that was supposed to get me around people to hopefully find that, you know what I mean? And I don't, I don't consider that an unethical thing. There's nothing unethical about trying to put yourself in the right place at the right time. Uh, you could make the argument that if I had known who she was and I wanted her to fall in love with me and I did something, maybe that would be fucked up. I think it comes from the idea of violence and robbing someone of their autonomy. And ultimately those two also come back to the idea of thinking, you know, what's best for other people or thinking, you know, what's best for the world at large. When we were talking about this earlier, you, you used an example that was like, you have a friend that's like, is having a rough time and you decide, what they really need is like a better job and they get that better job after you, you know, go talk to all the demons in the, the true grimoire and say, come on, he's a good guy. Check out his resume. Just help him out. And he gets the job and then he's miserable because he's worked all the time and he's super stressed. And even though he has money now and he's doing better in, by a certain metric, his life is worse off because of it. Right. And it's oh, it's the same problem as what we're really getting at with curses and love spells is that you're taking on the authority to just say, all right, this is what needs to happen to this fucker. Exactly. In the same way that if you did a love spell where you think this person will be so much happier with me, you're making these decisions that you know what is best for other people or the world. and that gets to the heart of it. You can either have the idea that my will and what I want are the important things, or you can think of other people. Right. Manly P. Hall had a thing, uh, uh, a lecture called Secret Powers and Why You Shouldn't Use Them. And it fell back on a lot of metaphysical and philosophical justifications for why you should and shouldn't do certain things. And the big difference as far as chaos magic is that chaos magic will tell you that all of that is arbitrary nonsense and you should just do what you want to do. There's no black magic, white magic distinction. The police sirens went off as you finished saying that. And I think that's poignant. <laughs> there, there is, oh, there's another one. There's something to be said, I think, about 
the benefit of having a moral compass in this world. And more importantly, for doing your magic. I think it's also important to recognize whatever your particular moral or ethical hangups are, are contingent on, you know, your experience, your culture, your place in time, your place in history, your class, what have you. All of these things are ultimately very contingent. And while it's very easy, especially as a chaos magician, to succumb to nihilism and just say that nothing matters, nothing is important, I can just be a hedonist and use magic to fulfill my every whim, or I could be like a Ragnar Redbeer might makes right, and as long as I have the magical ability to do something, I'm going to fucking do it. I think there's a greater benefit to being able to look at your morals and understand that they are contingent and in some ultimate way arbitrary. So you can actually focus more on what the intent of this sort of moral idea is. That way you don't end up in a situation where the inevitable happens, where hardline morals fail and can't give us a satisfactory answer. Yeah, you know what? That's a, that's a pretty great way of putting it, is that there, this isn't a call to everyone abandon their morality and their ethics because it's arbitrary. You don't want to make the mistake of because something is arbitrary or because something is, if something only exists as a social convention, that means you don't need it or it can be done away with. I think that is a real issue that people have. They see arbitrary and they think unimportant. Right. There's no, the, the fact that you eat a baked potato with a fork is arbitrary, but it has some benefits. You ever get like baked potato under your fingernails? It's gross. Yeah, totally. There's, um, it's, you know what it is? It's the money thing, right? Where money doesn't really exist. It's all in our heads. And it's like, if you believe that, give me all your money. <laughs> See how it will far be all you in get my without wallet it. after this. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I understand that these are, there's a greater argument trying to be made there sometimes, but I think for us to a certain extent, Acknowledging that your morals are arbitrary or that your ethics are arbitrary is fine. And it can be great because if you acknowledge that they are arbitrary, then you can challenge them. You can change them. You can act in accordance. You can, you can act in a different way without having to come up with a cosmic scoreboard that says this is 100% right all the time. And this is 100% bad all the time. You can still say that things like genocide and child abuse are awful while acknowledging that the reason you think that is not because there is the, the universal referee throwing a red card on. Right, right. Because the minute that you think that you found the objective morality, you're under an obligation to enforce it on everybody. And that's, that's hardly ever been a good thing in history. Well, of course, that's arbitrary, too. Wah, wah, yeah. Wah, yeah. Uh, wah, um, wah, no, yeah. no, no, no. I will go back to the fact that beyond magic, because we've gone almost whole hog into the discussion of ethics as ethics, as opposed to strictly in a magical sense. But 
as far back as Antigone, we see the struggle of man for justice in the world, of where where obligations and conventions and the law all coincide with what is true justice, right? Charles Bombach has a, a Heidegger book. Oh no, he's talking about Heidegger again. Ugh. No, it has a book called um Taking the Poetic Measure of Justice. And in it they talk about the how we're always sort of yearning towards justice rather than ever reaching it. Mm, mm. That our strive for to be our strive to be ethical is a striving to reach what we actually view as the just, but we're wholly incapable of ever being able to really reach it. Doesn't Cornell West have a similar thing about truth? Right. And it's entirely relevant to chaos magic in the same way. Yeah. It's the thing you strive for. And I think that while nothing is true, everything is permitted. Hassani Saba old man of the mountain this is the end times you can do whatever you want nothing means anything while i feel like that is a totally valid and uh in in many cases correct view it has to be tempered with the idea that that isn't the end of the discussion if 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 nothing is true then you have to you know what maybe it's if you, it's easy enough to say that nothing is true, everything is permitted. It's another thing to try to live like that because the only way that you figure out something isn't true is to try to keep striving for it. Try it, it, to find, to keep in the same way that the Buddhist would tell you that if you keep unearthing the things that are unreal, eventually the only thing left will be what is truly real. I think that is the that is kind of the idea is that it it's very easy to go all right yeah all this stuff's arbitrary it's another thing to go all right if all this is arbitrary then that means this 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 and this and keep testing that and working with it and I think I'm getting a little bit into a ramble at this point so I'm going to drop it and let you go well I'll just take it back to magic then as a magician or a witch or a warlock because you made the pact with uh, Barthazal last episode. What guides you as a magician personally at this point? As oh, far me as ethical operate, yeah, as far as ethical action. Man, that is a tough one. I think ultimately I have certain things that I want to happen. It was at this moment that he knew he fucked up. You know, you know what? This is god this is gonna gonna sound terrible (laughs) i've got certain things that i want to happen and i'll do everything in my power to make sure they happen (laughs) (laughs) that's it that's literally it is that if you really want something you you're willing to throw so much stuff (laughs) to the wayside but I, I think also I have a baseline of even though I know that it's arbitrary and there's no one, I I won't be punished for my bad, for my misdeeds and my sins and this, that, and the other. There's nobody who's going to slap me on the wrist at the end of all of this or even 
there's it's not like the universe is going to turn around and and spank me because I did something bad. No bad rebirth. Yeah, yeah, or or even like the 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 western idea of karma where you did something bad so something bad happens to you. You know, I I don't believe in that stuff. But I I still at the end of the day there's certain things that I think of that I don't I don't want to do that to somebody. <laughs> and that's really all it comes down to is it's like, well, that's pretty shitty to do to a person, so I'm not going to do it. Being being a bad person makes me feel bad. So I, I mean, there's worse things. I know plenty of people that are bad people that feel great about it. I wish I was one of them. I really <laughs> do. Not me. I wish I was a bee. Oh, yeah, so you could play. Yeah, bees can play, but it's not ethical to yeah. play as a bee. You got to strive for the hive. You have to strive for the hive. It must be true because it rhymes. Yep. See, nothing is true. Everything is permitted doesn't rhyme, so it's, it's probably a lie. <laughs> I think it might have I think it might have rhymed in the original language. Whatever uh whatever whatever William Burroughs wrote it in. No. Burroughs made that whole thing up. None of that happened. He got it from Alamut. There's no where is it? Point it on a map. Maps are arbitrary. The map is not the territory. Does it rhyme? <laughs> this is, I, I like this paradigm. This is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> the paradigm where Dr. Seuss holds all the truths. <laughs> it rhymed. It works. Oh, Okay, all right. Unless someone well, like you cares an awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Ah, See, now we're back to ethical action. Good job. Okay. And with that, I suppose we move on to our most beloved segment of CMN. What's in the news? Fantastic. Do you want to invoke the news again? <coughs> What's in the news? <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, let's see what we got this week. Dems moving quickly to push major policy change through Congress before GOP takes House. Was anyone surprised by the election results? Okay, I understand that we have some non-American listeners here. I'm not going to get into the explanation of what happened, but maybe we should also do a little bit better about not making this firmly like American stuff. However, no, I, I, I was honestly surprised it didn't end worse for the Democrats. I mean, yeah, I'm, uh, Babylon is burning folks. Not I mean, really. Babylon just keeps going on forever. That's the real issue of capital. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as them trying to rush policies in before things get fucked over, I mean, it. That's what they it all do. Make, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it's this thing where you know, you know, the guys behind you are about to fuck everything up. So you're going to try to batten down as many hatches as you possibly can. I feel like, I feel like it's not going to matter. It's not going to do enough. The Supreme Court is so slanted in the direction of conservatism at this point that just about any law that they don't want on the books can get overturned. So what's it matter? 
And if the Democrats had been willing to be more than middle of the road liberal democracy, maybe we could have gotten something done. But it's the it's the very plain thing that Democrats only operate on the idea that we're not the Republicans, so you should vote for us. That's all they really ever have to offer. And then meanwhile, the Republicans, all they have to offer is we're not eating children. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's just what the, I don't really have much because it's like, I have no love for the Republicans. Don't get me wrong. I, I think they're, I think by and large, they're monsters and the things that they want are completely at odds with the things that I want. But the Democrats are also a complete fucking failure, too. It's, I know that that in and of itself isn't a controversial state. If you say, man, both parties suck, most people are going to be like, yeah, you're totally right. It's just when I say what I think my solutions are, that's when people start bristling. Right. Well, I always go back to um, Chris Catrone's. Um, actually, I don't even. I think I can't remember if I. I heard Chris Catrone say it. I don't remember if he was quoting someone else, but America has two parties that are both right wing. That's all it really comes down to. I don't think either of the parties have any any scruples about who their masters are, and it's Mammon. Yeah. Absolutely. They, they worship capital. That's what they're about. If you tell anybody, Republican, Democrat, socialist, crazed fascist, and you say, you know what really runs our political system is money. Every one of them is going to nod and be like, man, you're so right. I completely agree with you. It's just what they do. What everyone does after that statement is what determines what their real ideology is. Well, it also comes down to that sort of um, faith in institutions to function as they're, they're supposed to properly function. Yeah, and none too. of us have that anymore. No, no, we all, we all still go through all the motions, but we, we, none of us believe anything functions the way it's supposed to. Exactly, exactly. If you, think, if you ask anyone whether or not they vote, whether or not they, they engage in any sort of political activity, if you ask them, do you think that the government represents the will of the people? They're all going to laugh. At you. Pfft, no, of course not. But we all, we all still wake up every day and keep trudging along, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the long and short of it, I suppose. What else we got? And now you know the rest of the story. Oh, no. Paul Harvey's ghost is a very powerful spirit. You can't fuck with him. Next headline. I was looking and I realized just Trump announced his candidacy again. So the the headlines are all flooded with that shit. Again, very American centric, but I'll, I'll just, well, that's what I'm getting at. But even the world news is flooded with it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, the problem is, is that nobody took Trump seriously the first time he ran and then he won. So what do you, are we going to repeat our mistakes or are we going to actually do anything? Or, I mean, I, I'm sure statistically speaking, if, if there's enough people listening to this, somebody listening is going to be like, yeah, that's definitely a good thing. We should want him to win. Right. I'm sure somebody know. does. 
I, I don't have anything good to say about the Trump administration or Donald Trump as a person. I just, I think that it's a double-edged sword because there's the idea of if we ignore him and act like there's nothing, like it doesn't matter, we might repeat what happened last time. But at the same time, giving him all the media attention probably isn't going to help either. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's just a wait and see thing at this point. I mean, we've still got, I mean, it's it's, we've still got some time before we really need to worry about, well, I don't want to say it like that, but the election, next presidential election is a ways off, is all I'll say. So yeah, there's... but get ready for it because it's going to start ramping up. They, it's yeah, like and that's Christmas. I, Election that's... season has taken over all the other holidays. <laughs> <sighs> yes, Virginia, okay. there is an electoral process. <laughs> okay, what else we got? What World Cup fans can't do in Qatar? Qatar. Cutter. Cutter. What can't they do? Drink, apparently. Oh. (laughs) Drink, be gay, have fun. (laughs) Oh, man. Let's see what else we got. Religious restrictions. Anyone criticizing Islam can be uh, criminally prosecuted. Public speech (sighs) is also limited. This is literally just saying that, like, don't do Western liberal things in theocratic Middle Eastern countries. You know, and, and here's the, here's the question, right? If we're talking about morality is arbitrary, here's a good test for everyone. If, if I acknowledge that morality and ethics and everything else that like, these are arbitrary guidelines that don't really hold up anywhere. Why does that still make my skin crawl? Why does that still make me go, dude, I never want to step foot in Qatar. If that's really how it is, you know, I can't say that Islam is fucking stupid as hell. Like what? And I don't think, <laughs> I don't think Islam is, it, it's not that I think Islam is stupid as hell. It's the fact that like you have a law saying that I can't openly criticize Islam, you know, Christianity predominates most of the West. And I talk smack about that. Well, but Christianity uh, is definitely on the decline. I, I don't think Islam is that far off. Hmm. Well, they they maintain governments. Christianity can't do that anymore. The Vatican's well, a shit show. Yeah, but if you in, if you maintain governance by lopping off the heads of anybody that disagrees with you, what's that say? That you're Saudi Arabia and you'll be protected by the U.S. regardless? Yeah, the Biden administration is going to tell you that it's okay. It's fine that he killed that reporter. Whatever. Who cares? Yeah. We want to kill reporters, too, but we <laughs> you know, we'll get sh- mad at us. <laughs> we, have to make, we have to make it look we'll like you guys We'll get ratioed on it. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ugh. The world generates so much data that new unit measurements were created to keep up. Gajillion. <laughs> Gajillion. <laughs> oh my lord. The Yodogram 24 zeros was the largest prefix in the metric system before the new edition. 
Now the Earth's mass can be said to be six ronograms rather than 6,000 yottograms. The sun can be said to be about 2,000 quetograms rather than 2 million yottograms. They're just making this shit up. Exactly. That's what they're saying. <laughs> I mean, hey, that's actually a, a neat theme if we're talking about arbitrary is that all, all metrics and measurements are arbitrary, aren't they? I remember actually a, a, a strangely eye-opening thing was when a, a friend of mine said that, you know, for a while, the idea is that there was a, there was a piece of metal in the middle of a building that was a pound. And that all of our measurements of a pound came from measuring against that thing. It's like, this is what they, they say that this is a pound. So we're all on the same boat that this is a pound. <laughs> you know? And the same way that the effects of time exist, but our measurements of time are completely arbitrary. That also goes into the thing of why do we have measurements that are arbitrary? It's like, well, because we need something we need to. And maybe that's the same thing with morals and ethics is that, yeah, they're arbitrary, but we need something to conduct ourselves. So we just got to go with it. I'm with it. These are much better headlines than usual, by the way. No, they're not. They're actually much worse in a way, I think. Okay. U.S. Supreme Court. See, I mean, it's just America. Like, America has just taken over all other news. Like, I'm literally at The Guardian at the moment, and I'm seeing nothing but America. I mean, that's also the problem of you're an American in America using a browser that has a lot of a lot of metadata associated with it that says you're in America, so they're going to try to show you American news. I suppose so. But... Yeah, well, fine. here's here's one that'll make you go like, ah, it's the parrot thing again. Two Canadian men charged with shooting animals at Safari Park. I mean, yeah, it is the parrot thing, but it's also really sad. Like, why would you want to do that? Breaking into Park Omega in Quebec and killing three wild boar and an elk. They're just little critters trying to live their lives and you want to be an asshole. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh, wow. No, never mind. Quebec's got a lot of great news coming out of it right now. Quebec man charged with terrorism over alleged Haiti coup plot. What? <laughs> a coup. A coup. In well, Haiti. You, heard about, you heard about the Haitian president being assassinated a little while back now, right? Yeah, but he, is he, like, taking credit for that? Or is he, like... No, apparently he, like, he was, man, he you was, know what? We're he gonna... was gonna do it. And then some, and then someone else did it. What was, why? What was his motive? Like, like what, what political standing or military power did this individual Quebec man have that he felt like he could actually. What is alleged is that Mr. Nicholas actually traveled to Haiti and to other Central and South American countries. We're talking about multiple countries in order to recruit, finance, and acquire some weapons for his armed revolution. He not only wanted to overthrow the government in place, but also seize power. Dude, some guy in Quebec was just literally about to take over Haiti. He's like, fuck it, man, I'm doing it. He, he was willing to give everything to accomplish the things that he wanted. You should be proud of him. He's a good magician in your eyes. I mean, he, absol he absolutely is. Oh, wow. This is even but better. No, 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 no. But uh, here, let's, let's, okay. 
Okay, go on. Nicholas told CBC Radio on Thursday that the charges were untrue and claimed that they were the result of lies spread by a former lover who contacted police in Levi's. Levi's? Levi's. Levi's. Well, okay. My my last breakup. My last breakup wasn't stellar, but neither one of us ratted us ratted the other one out to any kind of government agency about like alleged terrorist action. So that's pretty great. I mean, I mean, maybe I should, maybe I should, uh, not be as bitter about it. You know, you didn't, you didn't send, you didn't send the NSA after me. So <laughs> Jesus Christ, you I, must have loved me. True? What, hold on. What if that's true? Sorry. What if that is absolutely true where it's just like, uh, break up with God me will it, you sheila why would you tell them that i was trying to take over haiti i was drunk trying to brag and impress you and now you're oh <laughs> uh, that's great okay that's radical that that's absolutely radical yeah that's that's a pretty wild one i like that we need more like fuck no, seriously fuck Florida man at this point Quebec man's killing it let this be a lesson to everyone you know you may feel like something is impossible you may feel like that you're too small in this world but the fact is is that in any moment you are free to do any crazy radical thing you want just don't get caught <laughs> oh Jesus just don't break up with the girl until after you've invaded the Capitol. <laughs> Don't break up with her till you're in the presidential palace. North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un reveals daughter at ballistic missile test reveals. Like we didn't know that she existed. Pictures show dictator viewing an ICBM launch site with girl whose existence had never been confirmed before. Oh, she boy. looks like she's like a, a teenager, maybe, um, maybe an older preteen. Wow. Wow. I thought this was like Kim Jong-un just had a baby. and was like, everybody check out my baby at the missile launch. No, what we're hearing is that he had a daughter this whole time and nobody knew. God, dude, that's so bizarre. Isn't it weird that we just couldn't? You know, I mean, North Korea is a big deal all over the world because they're this weird unknown element that we, we could totally go nuts at any point and just like start a huge, huge conflict. Yeah, and we don't even know if this guy, we need to send this guy a Father's Day card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't, we don't know that, we didn't know that this guy had a daughter for over a decade, presumably. I mean, yeah, when did Kim Jong-il die? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. Of like, there's known knowns, and there's known unknowns, and then there's unknown unknowns. <laughs> That's her name. She's unknown unknown. Oh, boy. That's, That's unknown Ong-un. <laughs> but uh i guess it goes back to the arbitrariness thing too where it's is like, it arbitrary that had had a daughter and not a son well yeah but maybe not the the arbitrariness but the the ungroundedness of everything is that you can find out weird pieces of information that will totally flip your understanding of the world and it will make you realize that what you thought you knew was at best built on shifting sands. Mm -hmm. at, at any moment, you're 
new revelations can come upon you. You just got to be willing to look for them, I suppose. Well, you don't have to be looking for them. They'll they'll fuck you up. They'll find you. Former U.S. billionaire sentenced to 11 years in jail. Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes will also have to pay a 400 million fine. Did you hear about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos? Theranos, I don't remember how you pronounce it. Give me just a sec. I'm sorry. So, yeah, Elizabeth Holmes, she was essentially going around being like, I've revolutionized uh, blood testing at super low cost and quick now. And it was all a lie. <laughs> it was complete yeah, fabrications was... and bullshit. Yeah, yeah, this woman. So she finally got her comeuppance in 11 years, is what you're saying? Yeah, 11 years, 400 million fine. But even so, and I guess the this only victims the were investors, thing, right? right? Yeah, but that doesn't make it okay either. No, you know, it doesn't, just... but it's it's interesting to see that when the capitalist cat, whenever the, it's, it's interesting to note that when the capitalist class gets stepped on within their own ranks, then, even then stuff then gets it's a problem. Yeah. Then it's a problem. It takes years of anger and outrage and horrible things to get Jeffrey Epstein killed in prison and then put Ghislaine Maxwell on trial and just to, so they can have a head. But, the, and I know it's the, been years. I know the Holmes thing has taken years too, but eleven years and a you know for and a huge fine for defrauding people. And who knows if she'll actually even serve all of that? She probably won't. They never do at this point. That's sort of how the justice system works, I suppose. At this rate, <sighs> no faith in institutions anymore. Nope. Uh, I suppose we could talk about. I mean, we joke about the the con man and magician being the same thing, but what is there to say other than get good and don't get caught? If you're going to do a con that obviously does, if if you're going to sell people something that doesn't actually exist, you got to skip town before they start asking for it. Suppose so. Suppose so. She she needed to have a, have a trick like the alchemist, right? She should have been like, all right. Now, here's your this efficient, test low-cost testing. Yeah, exactly. Here's your efficient, low-cost blood testing machine. But you got to make sure that none of the people operating it think about purple cows. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it'll cost 30 times as much and will break every five minutes. Right, right. I, I think ultimately, it, this is interesting because I, on previous episodes, I, I was very enthusiastic and joking about oh yeah totally this is great magic because they conned a bunch of people but at the same time it goes back to the idea of is that a proper ethical or moral thing to do and i i i don't think it is (laughs) if nothing else we can say it's not good magic because she got caught as always you got caught so obviously you you weren't that good you lost you lost, Elizabeth. Yeah, lost. You're a yeah, loser, yeah. Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Well, we have one bit of occult news to touch on that's not the most relevant thing, but it's kind of shitty, and it's about someone that is almost universally praised in the occult today. Sure. Go on. Well, the lovely Jake Stratton Kent, who, as many people know, had a had a stroke a little while ago and is still recovering from that, from what I have gathered. They had a um a rumor of their death just running around on social media. Uh they they hit him with the Betty White. Yep. I'm not dead. No, they hit him with the uh the uh, Bam Margera. <laughs> I'm not dead, brother, but I miss you. <laughs> no, you know what I'm talking about, Mark right? Twain. Oh, yeah, right, do. yeah. The the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Sirens in the background. <laughs> What's Road the motivation? Symphony. <laughs> What's the motivation for something like that, though, other than the usual occult fodder of being a petty asshole about something, right? I suppose there's always the possibility that somebody just got bad information and then it proliferated. But it had to start somewhere. Yeah, it could have just been somebody who, maybe somebody heard he had a stroke and assumed he died. Oh, I suppose so. That's always possible. Information breakdown yeah. is a, is a very real thing. Well, it's I guess it's also that social media thing to bad information can spread very quickly, especially when it doesn't seem to have a a quick motivation of why would someone lie about this? Remember when you had to go to the library or the local occult bookstore to get bad information? Remember when you had to talk to your friend's older brother to get bad information about reality? Yeah, man, Marilyn girls really Manson like it. Did what? <laughs> How many ribs? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a if if this was if this was somebody's idea of a joke, then it I guess it's kind of shitty. Yeah, the man's struggling with shit right now I, I don't know if they're still taking donations I know they were at one point I think if I'm wrong about that then I'm wrong but at any rate I I, I, I know they're struggling with that they, they don't need well who knows they might have got a good chuckle out of it they might have just been like ha they think I'm dead but I'm the greatest necromancer of my age so I'm gonna raise my own corpse <laughs> well at, at the end of the day He's still alive and kicking, and if he is taking donations, maybe we can plug it for anybody who doesn't know. And you can make that decision on your own whether or not you want to give him money. But you know, you should. They're they're great. If you haven't read any of their work, I I highly recommend it. the The true grimoire is ace. Geo Sophia ain't bad either, but I haven't read all of that one from what I remember. Either way, they're cool. They're still alive. Don't don't tell people that don't don't say that people are dead. Do we have any more occult news to actually talk about? Uh brief aside, because we talked about Visconti and Gordon Wife's beef. 
Visconti is also squabbling with Alan Chapman about stuff. And I, <laughs> I, in, in my desire to not involve myself in weird, petty stuff, I didn't really look at what caused it, but I know they're fighting about something and maybe this speaks to Visconti's problem of just wanting to fight with people. At least Gordon White seems like sort of reasonable to fight with at this point because they've gone, they have, I was talking to a friend of the show about this, just how Gordon White let me down by becoming such a, even the deplorable stuff about COVID aside. Like Rune Soup used to like kind of mean something. And now it's literally just like, here's a list of all the people that were mean to me on Twitter. It just makes you feel bad because you're like, I like this person. I liked your work. It's your fault for putting someone on a pedestal. True facts. True facts. Yeah. That's the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. Or no, that's the way the idol crumbles, I guess. I suppose that really does go back to the point we were trying to make with that episode. It's hard to talk about occult news, like specifically occult news, because so much of it is weird, petty bickering. And do we want to be the gossip muckraking of so-and-so is fighting with so-and-so? And I don't really, I'm not yeah, really if we were, interested if in we were gonna do, If we were going to do that, we'd at least pick people that were more relevant than fucking magicians on the internet, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's niche. It's a niche topic for niche people. The lunatic fringe, very much. We are the knights who say niche. <laughs> I'm sorry. Better than the knights of chaos. <laughs> well, we ran through the headlines there. That's your news for the week. So everyone knows that this is the penultimate section of CMN. What are we talking about today? We have a book, don't we? Oh, oh. Yeah. You yeah. All, you and always it, sound so surprised. Like every time I say, we're going to talk about this thing. And you're like, oh, oh, okay, we're doing that. We plan these episodes. <laughs> hey, you remember that book that you suggested we talk about? <laughs> oh, yeah, I did do that, didn't I? <laughs> no, it's way less optimistic than that. It's like, ah, oh, fuck, I said I was going do that well i mean and 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 to be fair it is kind of an interesting it's it's an interesting book that we've got to talk about right now it came out i think june and it it just went under my radar until now it's the latest release as far as i know from peter j carroll oh so it's actually carroll written i thought you said it was interviews well i think it's 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 a little bit of both, I guess, because it's Carol and, oh man, I'm terrible. Ian Blumberg Eng okay. is interviewing him. And it's, it's a series of multiple interviews where it's broken down by question. So it's interview one, which is something like 40 questions. Then it's interview two, which is probably another 40 questions. From what I've skimmed, it's actually pretty interesting. But considering 
what we were talking about just a second ago, the idea of not putting people on a pedestal. This very much is like blowing Peter Carroll for being so great. <laughs> <laughs> is it like the Chris Hyatt interviews where he's got like people that he is like trying to work with at the same time? And he's like, well, part of your work with, you know, the Reiki and body therapy is going to be filming me talking to you about these things real quick. Mm, I don't know about that. I think it's just very natural to want to reach out to these sort of people that you view as the greats and be like, Hey, well, how about I interview you? And then I, I guess they, those two really hit it off because it materialized into this book. The book itself is called interview with a wizard. It's available right now on Amazon, Kindle, blah, blah, blah. If you're interested, totally pick it up. It might be worth something. I will say that it does. And I, I guess it makes sense that when you're interviewing somebody that you think is cool and you're writing a whole book about why you, if you're writing a whole book and the motivation is somebody should read this book, of course you're going to act like this person's really awesome. But it's funny because we spent a lot of time talking about the Knights of Chaos thing and saying like, this is some absolute fucking nonsense. So now yeah, we're Peter talking Carroll about fucking up and now we're Peter Carroll fucking now, up. To, man, Peter Carroll. Great. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do think that there's probably something good in all of this. I did buy it. So I guess I put my money towards supporting somebody that I just called a loser, a couple, you know, of, of course, what, what leg do I have to stand on as the nameless co-host of a podcast that just talks about magic who, you know, maybe I, maybe I'm the loser here. Maybe we're all losers. Maybe the real friends were the losers we made along the way. All right. Well, the idea that I had for this segment that I didn't tell you because it's broken down by question. I think we should go through and answer these questions and save Ian the, the hassle of having to find the two greatest living payouts in the biz and interview us <laughs> for a book later. <laughs> interview with two yahoos oh that's the episode name great we haven't had one oh, of those that's yet fantastic. Uh, but then people will think it's actually an interview no because uh, i i label all the interviews and they have actual people that people want to talk about okay well here how about i read the preface from peter carroll i won't read the one from ian because it's a bit long because but it's just I'll like, because he's got Peter's <laughs> cock in his mouth. <laughs> no, well, he typed it. So there's a lot of typos because he only had one hand. <laughs> the other one was firmly. Dear Penthouse grabbing. Forum, I didn't think it could happen to me. Okay. But here so, I was being initiated into the ninth degree. <laughs> All right. Preface by Peter J. Carroll. Ian Blumberg contacted me advertising himself as a budding journalist of the esoteric and asked for an email interview. WTFN, I asked myself, and we both got carried away with the project, which reached book length after many months of daily exchanges. Here with the results, which meanders all over the place from biography to magical theory to politics, religion, quantum science, sex magic, economics, sociology, magic practice, travelogue, and adventure to business, education, ufology, philosophy, and cosmology. 
perhaps we have between us invented the literary equivalent of a late night chat show series. I would recommend reading one interview per evening. It sounds a lot like this podcast. <laughs> Hell no, we would never be one per evening. That's it's hard enough doing this weekly. It absolutely is. We're like the Saturday night live of the chaos magic talk show community. Oh <laughs> uh, boy. Shitty monologues included. Yep. So is that the whole thing? That is it. Yeah. Interview one. Maybe we could start with your current project an alternative theory to the big bang. Is it possible to give a basic description? What is wrong or missing from the big bang? How did you get into this project? I'm a fucking skip that one. <laughs> what? Well, I was going to say, do you no. have anything to say about the big bang? All I know about the big bang is Howard Bloom told me that it, it's not the same thing. It's not the big bang. You think it is. It has something to do with a Taurus, which is like a donut. It's the cosmic donut. <laughs> ich bin ein cosmic Berliner. <laughs> I am a cosmic donut. <laughs> uh, Okay, so get to the first question that's actually good. All right. Uh, I will note that right at the end of this question, he says, nothing has ultimate truth. Everything remains possible, which is an interesting rephrasing of what we were talking about earlier. I like that. Uh, me too, actually. Yeah. Let's steal it. Yeah. Let's say that we sure. came up with it. Edit this whole part out. <laughs> uh all right. Uh, Are none of the questions good? There's like 40 of them. <laughs> They all blend into each other. Can you just, like, like, legit give me a sec? I'm sorry. Eight hours later. Here's the thing, is that most of the, the, the first 15 questions all sort of go into that, or the first 16 questions all start from the Big Bang thing into this working, this new working theory and uh, a lot. There's, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying that they're all dedicated on, the on the previous question. I mean, there are a lot of jokes that people have made over the years about like chaos magic came out of Peter Carroll's bad understanding of quantum mechanics. And I'm not saying that that's it now. I'm not saying that he hasn't gotten better or anything like that. I personally don't like mixing quantum mechanics with this understanding of magic because I feel like neither one of them work very well together. It just, you're not making magic better. You're making quantum mechanics worse. <laughs> Well, I don't but, believe in quantum mechanics because I've never been in a situation where believing in quantum mechanics was beneficial to me. <laughs> that cat is dead. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's in a box already. You, you've just fucked it up. Did you poke holes in the box? No, he's dead already. What's he's it fucking matter? dead. <laughs> Thanks, Shrey. I'm going on break. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but question 17. How did you get into ceremonial magic? Ooh, what was your first experience with ceremonial magic? <laughs> um, that would be, let me think. Uh, I 
tried to call up Prometheus. That would be the first one I ever did. Nice. What did you do? Yeah, and I, um, dark room, fire going. I drew up like an ornate sigil thing that I had cobbled together from a bunch of different stuff. I just, you know, a lot of fancy words by myself trying to call up an entity and see if he would deal with me. How'd it go? It went, it, it was interesting. I'll say that much. It's, it very much, it's, it wasn't the stupendous dude shows up in front of you and is like, what do you want sort of thing. But there was some, there was some interesting experiences that went with it. I don't want to get into them too much. It definitely isn't like a, a crowning achievement and it definitely didn't turn me into a believer when it was done, but it was interesting. And even looking back on it in hindsight, the idea that you would ask, the idea that my first experience would be trying to call up the guy that gave fire to man. Kind of neat. Nice. Uh, and then the fact that Prometheus rising was one of the books coming that came to me and really got me screwing with my own head in ways that would be considered magical. Feels like a neat synchronicity. Definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I remember it clearly. I had um just gotten into ceremonial magic because I was reading Robert Anton Wilson as well. And, mm. you know, Peter Carroll and all these sorts of things. And um, I found out what the Golden Dawn was and Thalema was. And I was like, well, fuck it. Peter Carroll's telling me anything works as long as I believe in it and just do it. I'll go do something like one of those sorts of things did all the things i put the various um stars on the ground and i had all the uh various angel names written out and i you know had all the instruments that i'd spent time making and getting and doing all that sort of stuff and i went through this i think it was an invocation of Horus or some kind some Egyptian deity I don't even remember which one that was but I remember doing all the stuff and getting absolutely fucking bunk and I was like this is all <laughs> bullshit this is just bullshit I just wasted my time but later rereading Lieber Null and by later I mean like a couple days later got it you remember the bit on ceremonial magic in Lieber Null where he discusses invoking Mars and he's like, mm-hmm. you know, get a bearskin rug and a leopard and a, thing and a and sword. And a metal helmet and, and a gun. Yeah, and, a, and start and running make, around saying, of, I'm Horus. me drugs. Yeah. yeah, me Horus, I Horus, yes. Yes, yes. So I was like, fuck it, I'll do something like that. And I got a red light bulb. <laughs> and I set up in my parents' garage that we had converted into a studio. And everything was red. I put a chair and I put like a, an, a, um, a, it was a hunk of wood or cardboard or something like that that I had painted this, what I viewed as a martial sort of entity on it. And I had a sword that I had put inscriptions on in Sharpie because I knew I could wipe it off afterwards. <laughs> Don't want to mess up my good sword. 
yeah, and this is this is my going out sword. <laughs> and I put on just I think it was Boris. But it was some just noise rock kind of thing. Just lots of loud like and feedback and shit. Very mm-hmm. long, very drony. And I smoked a cigarette super fast. And I had all the instruments that I had from the previous thing. And I picked up the wand and I waved it around and I was just chanting, I, Horus, me, Horus, I, I am Horus. And I found some Greek for Aries that I threw in there as well. And I just got into it, just as into it as I possibly could. And something about the way the chair was set up and the fact that I had taken taken my glasses off made the Mm. chair and the picture that I have turn into what I can only describe as like a demon of Gabora of the highest kind of quality. Mm. It was just like everything about Mars. This was war and violence and restriction and carnage just sitting before me. And Uh, I was, uh, I don't know if I, I know I've told you the Prometheus story before, but uh, I don't know if I mentioned the fact that, I also had a chair set up. (laughs) (laughs) I was just using it because I needed something to put it on. No, I had a chair set up like he was going to sit there. Oh, nice. Between between me and the fire, you know? Did he sit in the chair? Uh, I mean, like I said, my, my results weren't nearly as dramatic because like, I think this, this was much, this was very, very early in my career because I hadn't even know I didn't even know who Robert Anton Wilson was when I did that. Uh, so that synchronicity was like something much, much later. Uh but uh I think the the present as far as as far as what I experienced, there was definitely the presence in the chair at a certain point. I see. But I guess that's kind of funny because I hadn't, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't thought about that, that there was indeed a chair that I had set up (laughs) between me, you know, there's me, there's the fire and then there's, and it wasn't like a big fire. It was the kind of fire that you could have in your house at the time, you know, uh, without like setting your smoke detectors off or anything, but it's me, there's the fire and then there's the chair where I'm expecting him to show up. Um, and it and it worked, it, it, you know, it, it, it worked enough that I was like, okay, let me try. And I think that's a lot of what my early experiences were, was that like getting little things that were like, this is enough that I feel like I can do better rather than going, oh, this is complete nonsense and I'm not going to try it again. Do we want to, now that we're, we're get back to this interview, do you want to hear Carol's answer? Right. Uh, yeah. The only thing I was going to say was, um, and that after doing that, I was like, okay, let's go back to the high ceremonial magic with all the really strict rules and do it again. And it worked. So I think it was more of getting over my own disbelief that I could have some weird experience. Mm, okay, totally. Yeah. I think that, yeah. I think that might be one of those things that is really difficult to challenge is that especially early on, it's that feeling of like putting limits on what can and can't happen. I guess that's psychic sensor, right? To get back to Carol. So Carol's answer was, for me, it began as a discipline for carrying out results-based magic in a formal way so that I 
so that I paid minute attention to what I did and nothing got left out. Later, when I did stuff on my own, I tended to simplify the procedures to what seemed essential for me. Later still, when I set when I started setting up groups for collective conjurations, I found the ritual structure useful for coordinating and synchronizing everyone's efforts. However, by then I had simplified a lot of the traditional rituals to emphasize the effective important bits. And then the follow-up question was chaos magic created out of a need for a better working model. And it said, yes, indeed, a lot of the old systems remain full of unnecessary beliefs and faux historical mythology. Magic continually reinvents itself and then pretends to have an ancient hidden knowledge. You only really need intent and imagination and a few techniques for putting the mind into an extremely excited or very quiescent state. You can dress it up with any beliefs or symbols that appeal. Just to talk about that, then, do you agree with that sentiment still? Do I agree with that? Do I agree? Well, uh, do I agree that chaos magic is a better working model? Yeah, absolutely. If you know what you're doing. I was going to say to a point, I think that a lot of the quote unquote unnecessary aspects of traditional magic are entirely necessary. I have, I've done my own experiments with trying to simplify things. And a lot of the times you won't get any better results from making things simpler. A lot of the times you got to really go through the whole PGM and fucking get all the things in the way that it's supposed to be done. Do all the ritual purifications. Otherwise it's just not going to work at all. And I don't know if that's just my own personal experience as far as whether that constitutes ancient knowledge in any sort of like romantic sort of way, as opposed to just historical. I, I mean, you know, like it's, it's ancient knowledge in that it's old as fuck, but whether it's like connected to the perennial philosophy or whatever is a whole other fucking can of worms I don't give a shit about. I think that the notion that magic reinvents itself and then claims to be much older than it is, is totally a, that is a demonstrable thing. You can look at Crowley saying that we are the the reconstruction of the Sumerian tradition or anything else like that, where it's like, there's definitely this idea that they go like, yeah, we're tapped or, or Kenneth Grant talking about like this, you know, this current goes back to ancient Egypt and this, that. And oh, the well, other. I mean, well, the Corpus Hermeticum is that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's the entire Absolutely. belief is that every, everyone thought it was the real ancient super Egyptian, real goddamn teachings of Herbie, of Herbie's, Herbie's the love uh, thrice born. Of Herbie Hancock. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but yeah, yeah. But everyone thought it was the real thing. And they're like, oh no, we've, we've done structural, we've done a uh, textual analysis. We've done textual analysis. It's just a late Hellenic work, you silly Billy. But that doesn't matter. No, no. I I think that there is the constant need to reinterpret and reimagine and rebuild old things. And if you have to justify it as the rediscovery of ancient knowledge, so be it. I think that in and of itself is an unnecessary step at this point. And maybe that's something that I was going to get to about the ceremonial thing. I think you can definitely simplify a lot of this stuff, but you have to get good at it first. You have to do all of the stuff, but you have to follow the rules before you know where you can take shortcuts. Right, right. 
I won't go off into the um, Dreyfus model of skill acquisition, but it's a similar sort of thing. You have to have a whole lot of rules when you're learning how to do something. And when you've mastered it, then you don't have to pay attention to the rules anymore. Yeah, 100%. Right. Okay, so next question. I just dropped my phone and it shattered into a thousand pieces. 19. Do you think it was important that you created a working model for tuning and hacking your inner space before moving on to modeling the cosmos? Interesting. Now that goes back to the earlier things he's talking about of reimagining the Big Bang and talking about space travel and all of that. But the idea of wor- of a working model for your inner before you work on your outer there might be something useful in that idea of before you do any of the weird spooky stuff, you need to get good at things like meditation and ruling your, uh, or you know what? Lieberknoll has that statement about any modicum of control over yourself is greater than a whole host of control over the external world. Mm. I don't know if I 100% agree with that, but there is something to be said about if you're not if you're not in tune with your own nonsense and everything that's going on inside of you as a person then what does it matter what you can do out in the world and that's not even a magical thing but it's it's sort of that idea of you can have all the money in the world or all sorts of great things going on in your life but if you're miserable because there's something inside you that you haven't dealt with, you're just going to be miserable. Yeah, I can agree with that. Well, I can't, but I can agree with the sentiment of it. Well, you're, we're talking, when we talk about the idea of internal world and external world, you're, you start I fall apart immediately because there's, yeah, no, yeah, there's it, no difference. The, there's yeah. no internal, there's no external. There's only being in the world. Right. His answer's kind of interesting. Magic did wonders for my imagination and my arrogance. The practice of stilling the mind and the imagination has the peculiar effect of making it work much more powerfully afterwards. Identifying myself as a wizard somehow obliged and inspired me to attempt extraordinary things. Absolutely great answer as far as I'm Yeah, concerned. especially yeah. in line with the ethical conversation we had earlier. Yeah, I mean, the... Uh, or Alan Moore's thing of one must be careful declaring themselves uh, a magician. You might wake up and discover that is exactly what you are. There's something to be said about that idea of going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, where if you do declare and make this idea that there, there is a valid reality to all of the spooky woo-woo stuff you do, you're obligated to do something with it. And that can mean doing something of great merit or doing something extraordinary or whatever. But I feel like you can't acknowledge that this stuff works and not feel like you have a a certain level of responsibility with it. 100% there. I have a whole article about it. That's going to, go up on the site (laughs) fairly soon probably after this episode but do i use the r word at any rate um next question okay 
Um, just looking at the answer here, it's going to, that, that's why I'm going, I was going to skip this, but I read the answer and I was like, oh, okay. Are the theatrical aspects of ritual magic as important after decades of ceremonial work? And his response is the high years of large magical orders and mass interest in hardcore occult activities seem to have passed for various cultural reasons. So much occultism now consists of individuals working alone and communicating mainly online. Nevertheless, I still keep my hand in the local Druid Grove once a month. We still use robes, staffs, candles, and circles. <laughs> now, I think what Carol is getting at is that when he was doing his IOT stuff and most of the others, he was in a period of large occult revival, which we're heading back into. I think while he's absolutely right that it's mostly people working by themselves and then chit-chatting with folks online, I think we're going to see a lot of this stuff coming back. I mean, even just the things a couple years ago of like mass hexing of Trump or what the hell ever is a leading edge of that sort of thing. You're going to be, you're going to see this stuff come back and it's going to, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. So I'm not a hundred percent sure what form it's going to take, but I think it's definitely coming back and I don't, I think his characterization of robes, staffs, candles, and circles, you're describing what a lot of people do in their own homes. So whatever. It is interesting that he said it was, he blames cultural reasons for what happened. What he's probably saying is mostly it's the internet because the internet makes it really easy to not go outside. Well, yeah, the proliferate. Well, you know, like like we joked about earlier, you know, it used to be if you wanted to get your head filled with gobbledygook, you had to go look for books. And even in the earlier days of the Internet, you had to go look for and hope someone typed up the entirety of fucking, you know, some random um, treatise on magic from some theosophist. Right. Yeah. Or like sh they, you got the shitty photocopies. And there was only about 20 books in whatever particular group you were in. And everybody worked off of those because it's what they had. Right, right. But now you can find anything. You can find the book that some internet rando wrote and then is hawking at everybody telling you that, like, please read my book. It has the true secret of the Egyptian uh, art of basket humping, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you want to do the ancient studies of the Anunnaki bumblefucking, like, there's books for it now, and you can just find them in a moment's notice. And yeah. even if you can't, I can think of four groups off the top of my head that you could go to, say, does anybody have a copy of it? And you will probably find it. <laughs> right, right. Hell, you can go on r slash occult and just ask, like, What's in this book? And then someone will just like throw it at you in anger saying, why don't you just read the actual book instead of asking? That was one of the ones I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> but the point being that I think the internet has done a lot to proliferate it to the individual and done a lot to make it hard for the individuals to come together in meaningful groups. However, I think we are still on the cusp of that changing and i'm not saying it's going to be good 
but I definitely think we're going to see new groups forming. Now, whether that takes the shape of an order or just small little pockets of meaningful practitioners congregating, I can't say. I know, I know it's coming. I, I shake my, my head entirely at you. You disagree? We are too atomized and too hermetically sealed in our own little bubbles of what we're doing as people for that to really ever come back in the same way that it did, even in the occult revival of the 60s. Well, I'm sure TikTok witches have their covens. I'm sure that someone is trying to revive the DKMU. I mean, they'll like, oh, we're still here. <laughs> but like, you know, they're not doing anything fucking nearly as important as what they were doing. You know, the IOT is fucking dead as a doorknob. You know, these people might come together in very small groups to do these sorts of things, but it's part of it is the internet. The other part of it is just late stage capital having completely rendered us incapable of organizing, even for something as unimportant in some value assessment way as magical workings. The best we get now are, hey, everybody, we're all going to get together and hex fucking Donald Trump or we're going to do a bunch of magic to get the uh, Supreme Court to not overturn Roe v. Wade. And you see a post or a tweet or, you know, whatever. And it'll tell you, do it at this time, at this date. And you just have people in their fucking houses doing whatever goofy fucking shit someone told them to fucking do. And then they forget about it. Counterpoint. We're watching the labor movement come back. We're watching strikes happen. We're watching people unionize. If it can happen for Starbucks, why can't it happen for uh, star children? <laughs> star seeds. <laughs> every man and every woman is a Starbucks. <laughs> all right here we're gonna do my favorite number 23 and then maybe we'll put a pin in this yeah all right has anything been lost do you yes we're gonna do my (laughs) i lost my keys no uh number 23 has anything been lost do you think in the way (sighs) this is a horribly worded fucking question hold on Has anything been lost, do you think, in that shift away from communal magic? Or is this an evolution? Or maybe just a lull? Mm. I don't remember whose idea it was, but I think Wilson introduced me to the idea that it takes a generation for new information to integrate itself into a culture. Take a note that Robert Anton Wilson is mentioned on question 23. Hardy har. That is pretty funny. Uh, I like to think that is what is currently happening to chaos magic and all sorts of open source spiritual science from that era. Often when I look at any modern book of magic today, I think, well, we are all nearly chaos magicians now. Deep down, I suspect that most neo-pagans believe the gods and goddesses exist as thought forms of our own creation and that 
in magical invocation, you basically create spirits as servitors, but they remain no less useful for that. In fact, it makes them more useful and versatile. Unfortunately, the internet gradually brought with it what I call internet-itis, a huge reduction in attention spans, a relentless need for continual novelty, and increasing reluctance to put in sustained work. Plus, in an increasingly noisy medium, the short shout has tended to replace proper debate and genuine exchange of ideas. God damn it, Carol. Ah. Uh, well, uh, if that's your if that's what you're going to tell me, on, then what was your on, whole Knights on. of Chaos bullshit about then, Carol? Well, you're like, you oh, know, we're all like, older folks, it's fine. We'll we'll actually look, do it. Look, look, hold on, hold on. Just give me a second. Because I'm reading that, and now all I'm thinking is, oh, like, God, he's totally right. <laughs> he's totally <laughs> on point. Like, what? Well, I mean, yeah, he just agreed with us, so of course he's right. <laughs> uh, uh, man, that's frustrating in a way. Because he is, and it's, and it, I guess maybe that goes to your cynicalness of saying, oh, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think we're going <laughs> to. I think we're going to get better. I think something is going to give and it's going to, it's going to take work. It's going to take people being dedicated and actually giving a shit, but I think we're going to do better. I think we are going to see something coming back to the surface that we lost for a minute, you know? And the other thing is that it's worth noting that for the vast majority of practitioners, the last occult revival was either when they were, either when you were you were too young to even know what was going on or you were so young that you barely dipped your toes into this stuff or uh, you know a couple of us weren't, weren't even, even alive yet? yeah weren't even born yet when it started you know hell if you were if you were born in the 90s that means you were born at the tail end when the last occult revival was dying off so i guess us weird middle children of the cycle are probably very confused and wondering what the hell can we do? <laughs> but I think that I think things are actually going to change in exciting ways. If you are willing to accept that criticism that uh, old uncle Pete just threw at you as much well, as I think that the Knights of chaos thing was dumb as shit. He's got a point. And we should totally all, we should own up to that and understand what the hell it means. Well, to go back to my current paradigm, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing's going to ever get better. It's It's not. not. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. And with that, we'll put a pin on the interviews with the wizard. I, I think that answer alone has me excited to read the rest of this. Maybe we'll come back and do another little perusal of questions. Then we can fling our opinions and then be like, did Peter agree with us? Oh, no, he's back on the shit list. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd actually like that. Sweet. As we wind down to the end of the show, we have our nice decompression segment, the little palate cleanser. How, How goes the work? work? You owe me a Coke. Well, for me, I hate to say it, I haven't really gotten to do a whole lot between 
work sort of ramping up right before we all take some time off for the holidays and then my beloved getting very, very sick. I, I just haven't had a whole lot. I, I will say that I've done some stuff to try to make her feel better and uh, mixed results, but who knows? Maybe it'll, maybe she'll turn around real quick and then it'll be great, but she's not dying or anything. She's just sick and it's not fun when someone you love is sick. No, I don't have anything exciting to report. What about you? Well, I blew someone up with a lightning bolt. Oh, thank God. I was so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they had it coming. <laughs> no, no, they were completely innocent. I was just like, you're, you, you look like you, you're pretty lightning centric. You look pretty lightning friendly. The, just, a, just a random fucker on the street. <laughs> and you were like, <laughs> I said, sir. <laughs> Sir, could you hold this umbrella for a moment? <laughs> uh, no, but the the okay. work's going good. I'm I'm just doing a lot of stuff for sort of personal transformation of my uh my current um identity as it were. So hopefully if that goes really well in about two <laughs> or three more episodes, I'll come in with a much more attractive <laughs> voice and demeanor and maybe won't be so mean to everybody. I got a joke I want to make, but I'm going to bite my tongue on it. Oh, I, uh, I hope it goes well. I really do. I'm pulling for you. I, I think, is that about it for this episode? Yeah, that's about it. I think that's, that's, this is where we have to wrap it up. So with that being said, this, this has, has been, been Chaos, Chaos Magic, Magic News. News. The only news source who's the Buddha's infinite compassion still has a hard time with. As always, if you're interested in joining the Order of the Lorax... Please plant a prickle crack tree seed in your backyard and above it ascribe the sigil of the all seeing eye. We will be in contact with you in the dead of night. <laughs> if you want more from us, you can check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're all at Chaos Magic News. You can check out the website, chaosmagicnews.com, where we have the podcast, interviews, and articles, pretty much anything you could ever possibly want from us. And with that, Retrograde, would you like the last word? Oh my god. Alright, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. As always, if you're interested in joining the Order of the Lorax, <laughs> please. Uh, plant a crickle crack tree in your backyard and ascribe the all-seeing eye above the dirt that you buried in it. Oh my god. We have to redo that because you missed fucking part of it, dumbass. Oh, damn. Okay. What's the part that I was missing?